Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. Hurricane Ian's assault on Southwest Florida last fall is speeding up a transition already occurring in some of the state's coastal communities. Middle and working class people are being driven out and being replaced by deep-pocketed buyers. Now, what's happening in Florida is part of a broader trend. Storms wreck homes. Then, because of shrinking insurance markets, government rules, and demand for housing, people are forced to move out. That pattern can threaten more American communities this summer. It's just another example of how worsening disasters tied to a changing climate are altering the lives of everyday Americans. So today, Politico Zach Coleman on how hurricanes are washing out affordable homes. It's Friday, July 14th. Look, I mean, what you have here is a classic case of disaster capitalism. A disaster happens, average people with average incomes, even below average, even above average, can't afford to rebuild. Maybe they had insurance, maybe they didn't. Whatever the case, they're not getting enough money back to get back on their feet. So what happens is as people are under duress and they're stressed, they decide, okay, I'm going to sell my house, but they can't afford to rebuild it. So they might sell it as a vacant lot. And who's buying it? But you have a lot of wealthy people who are trying to move into Southwest Florida, could be investors as well that want to take that vacant property, build an Airbnb on top of it and have a steady stream of income. And what you're seeing happen here is people who wanted to live near the ocean, who maybe had bought a house years or decades ago, just cannot afford to stay there, even with all the payouts and selling their land. It's just getting too expensive. And you're going to see this type of thing happen in coastal communities across the country if you have these disasters that climate change is certainly making more severe, if not more frequent. Got it. So what are some of the contributing factors to this trend that we're seeing? You note that shrinking insurance markets and government rules seem to be a part of the problem. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, one of the things here is for federal flood insurance, not enough people have it for one, but a lot of people who I did talk to for this story had it. The issue is the federal program only gives you up to $250,000. Now, it you're not going to be able to buy much with 250000 or rebuild much with 250000 these days. So one thing is there's this gap, this protection gap. You might have insurance, but it's not enough to make you whole. And you know the other thing here is that when you do have a certain level of damage with FEMA, it's if basically the cost of repairs would equal 50% or greater than the value of the house, then you have to build it up to current codes. Now, this is an important thing for withstanding future climate damage and disaster damage, and it ultimately protects people's lives and saves taxpayers money in the end from not having to rebuild and bail people out. But the average person cannot afford to do that. To get a home up to code these days, I mean, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars for good reason. But that means that people without savings have to consider selling their land, selling their home, moving out. And people might have to then also go get a mortgage at rates that are double their pandemic lows. And for people with unfixed incomes who maybe never thought about having to have a mortgage again, that doesn't seem feasible for them. So you just have a lot of dislocation that comes with these types of disasters. 
Right. And, and what are the consequences then of this trend of dislocation and kind of what it means for the character of communities like Cape Coral, Fort Myers Beach in Florida? You spoke with some homeowners who shared their feelings with you. Yeah. I mean, what you have happening here is the social fabric of the community is changing. I mean, it is by a rule that the homes that were most likely to get damaged were the oldest ones that maybe were not up to current flood codes that weren't up to current wind codes, the type of things that Florida have, has actually led the way on since they have so many of these hurricanes. But that also means that they were often the most affordable homes. And if you're then having to take people out of these damaged homes that were affordable when they were purchased, and then you're saying, oh, the only ones available for you now are these up-to-date, safer homes, but they're expensive and you're going to be competing with out-of-state buyers or hedge funds then you're really putting them in a tough position. So you're seeing people having to move further away from the coast that they loved and they, they probably moved down to Florida to be near. And you're making these places very difficult to afford for the type of occupations that make a community a community, public safety officials, teachers, restaurant workers, what people are concerned about in Southwest Florida. This is a middle-class community, Cape Coral, Fort Myers, Fort Myers Beach, and now there's a concern that it's just going to be vacation rentals and wealthy people who have second homes. And, and there's a real concern that the fabric of the community will change as a result. Interesting. And then looking forward, I mean, how are Washington policymakers you know, grappling with this issue? I mean, do you see them kind of taking action to make things easier on ordinary Americans after natural disasters? course, this is only going to get worse because of climate change. I mean, are there solutions that are being talked about or proposed? Yeah, this is just so hard because there's an honest good faith effort to make the disaster relief programs sort of blind to certain factors. But the administration of these programs ends up that the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. I mean, a lot of these formulas have are geared towards steering disaster relief money towards the places with the highest property values. So by nature of that, you have the rich getting rich, richer. Now, there are some efforts to try to change some of these formulas to prioritize underserved communities. But long story short, I mean, the biggest program to help people out in these types of disasters, the National Flood Insurance Program, as I mentioned, has a $250,000 cap. I mean, we recognize that that is not enough for the average home in Southwest Florida for someone to rebuild. So there is this protection gap. There are some sort of innovative financing mechanisms that one could look at. Talk about some parametric insurance policies where communities band together and agree on a policy of the private insurer that says if certain conditions are met, like this hurricane reaches a category four or something like that, then you know we have this extra layer of insurance policy protection that we could take out. And if that trigger is met, then we get the payout and everybody who is part of that policy benefits. Or you could also have, you know, the National Flood Insurance Program does discounts for, for insurance rates for communities that have broad scale resilience investments that basically protect a broader swath of their residents. So, you know, you could see communities try to invest in those large-scale infrastructure or other resilience measures to benefit their communities because, I mean, right now in Southwest Florida, 
you have rising insurance rates that's really pricing people out of the area as well. That's one of the other major factors here. And then private insurers are pulling out because there's too much risk. So, you know, there's really a need for policy to address some of these gaps, but there's very much a recognition that these gaps exist. Also, on Thursday, Special Climate Envoy John Kerry said he will not be, quote, conceding anything on his upcoming visit to China as he seeks to reestablish dialogue to combat climate change. The trip to Beijing starting Sunday marks a formal restart to climate talks between the two countries, which China halted after then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan last year. But Kerry set modest expectations for the trip as Republicans peppered him with questions at a hearing Thursday about whether he's too trusting of China. He noted climate is just one of many issues Biden administration officials have tried to navigate as they cautiously re-engage with China. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power dash switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Nirma Malaykel is the podcast producer. Alex Keeney and Annie Reese edited the podcast this week. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back on Monday. Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. Chevron is developing renewable diesel made with biofeedstock that can help reduce the life cycle carbon emissions of heavy-duty transport fuels today. Learn more at chevron.com.